Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 184 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, we're doing things a little differently. I am joined by a tabletop role-playing game podcaster and expert game master for an exploration of class. Don't worry, it is not taxonomy. We are talking Dungeons and Dragons character classes and the real-world animals that embody them. We discuss animals with maxed-out dexterity, charisma, and strength, and if you've never played D&D, don't worry, we give explanations of the basics along the way so that anybody can enjoy. But before we get into the episode, I have just a couple of quick notes that I would like to echo from last week, just in case you missed them. First up, we are getting ready for our annual listener submission episode. So if you have any questions for me and Christian that you'd like us to answer, or stories about the way that the podcast has had an impact on your life, or how you've connected with the content, please email those to me by Saturday, March 18th, preferably with the words special episode in the subject line so that we can read them on the show. My second small programming note is that our uh, releases over the next few weeks will be a little different from usual, since we are going to be traveling and preparing for the Max Fun Drive towards the end of this month. So next week's episode will actually be a feed drop of a guest appearance I made on another podcast that I think y'all will really enjoy. After that is going to be the Max Fun Drive. So we've got a couple of special, really exciting episodes that I think you are going to love. That's all the announcements, so get out your character sheets and your polyhedral dice. Just the Zoo of Us presents D&D Classes with Eric Silver. This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And uh, this week we're not reviewing animals. We are giving them a sort of more mechanical, we're kind of slotting them into a game. Uh, we're not necessarily going to be building a stat block, but we're going to be discussing how they might uh, fit into the game of Dungeons and Dragons and what their classes might be. And joining me is a brand new friend. This is Eric Silver. Say hi, Eric. Hello. I'm waving. You can't see it, but I'm doing it. <laughs> and Eric, real quick, before we get started, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are he, him. Thank you. And I am really excited to talk to you because you are the DM on a wonderful D&D podcast called Join the Party. And I would love it if you could let our friends listening know, how did you get into uh, tabletop role-playing games? Uh, that Well, I am on the Max Fun Network, so I am required to say uh, I found it through the Adventure Zone, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, throughout college and high school and college, I was always really into video games, a very creative person, just like I loved writing and, and poetry. I got really into slam poetry in college, uh, so mm. I funneled all, all that energy into like competitive poetry that needs to be done in three minutes. This was also over the rise of where slam poetry could get really big on youtube too so it was like you know so seeing how media can take art and then make it like not elevate necessarily but have more people see it is something that i was very aware of very quickly but also like then it became a business and it became like a genre 
which is kind of what we see with actual play podcasts right now. Um, so I saw that and I did that at NYU and then I started listening to the Adventure Zone and I was like, oh, this is really fun and I really want to play for myself. I had always been interested in Dungeons and Dragons from just hearing about it in my nerd circles and also the community episodes uh, about it. And then finally I got the chance to play. My first character was Eerie Goldbottle, who is a ranger halfling, which I did explicitly so that I could ride a mastiff and once I got level three, oh. once I got a little... <laughs> Uh, once I got a companion, but of course that game, I only played one session of that game and then started playing with my friends and uh, I got thrown into being the DM and after making one of my players cry in the second session that we did, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm good at this. And it was <laughs> crying from sadness and emotion, not because of my conflicts or not because of that my fights were too hard. Not not an interpersonal No, cry. it was not interpersonally. It was because of emotion and, and things that I came up with. So, uh, and then from there, this was the rise of the actual play phenomena starting in like 2017, 2018. Really starts popping off. <laughs> yeah, and I started getting into podcasting in general and I wanted to do it as my job. I was a high school English teacher before that and then a lot of stuff happened. Uh, my school was indicted in a grade fixing scandal. Oh, <laughs> and so then exciting. I, yeah, it was wild. So then I'm like, I don't know if education is right for me, but I always kind of brought that idea of like teaching and collaborative storytelling and play and fun in that way and eventually I started learning how to podcast and I found collaborators. I uh, started working uh, at this terrible job that I had with Brandon Grugel who is our editor of Join the Party and one of our players and uh, it kind of bloomed from there and then we got different players. Amanda McLaughlin who is now the CEO of Multitude which is the podcast <laughs> company that I work at full time now is the head of creative she is our ceo but she's also sells ads for the show and uh, is one of our players and she's also my wife uh, and from there i we've been really into tabletop role-playing games and actual play it's something that i care about a lot and think about a lot we're starting our third campaign we've had two full dungeons and dragons campaign and a monster of the week campaign in in the interim and we're starting uh campaign three at the end of January, which is wild. That's so exciting. Is it D&D &D or is it a different system? We're, well, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons in 2023 is a different uh, thing than <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons in 2018. So it is D&D. We're working with Mage Hand Press, which created the incredible Valda Spire of Secrets. Uh, so we're using classes from there while also doing a lot of modifications to Dungeons and Dragons to like drag it into the 21st century. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, kicking and screaming, truly. Um, like, you know, we, we excised race from our language in that. We're doing speech. I like that terminology better. <laughs> yeah, but it's like kind of, I'm also trying to excise the bioessentialism of fantasy race right. from that because Wizard of the Coast, the company that runs it, like only did a like a, fi a find and replace of race and species. So instead, <laughs> like we're doing bonuses called traditions because like I like oh. the idea of getting bonuses still because it's important in tabletop role playing games to like choose who you are and get mechanical benefits to that so the traditions yeah. are like where what country are you from is similar like to from countries where we're from or from states if you're in the in the united states like oh i'm a new yorker so i walk very fast or i'm from <laughs> france and i am there is revolution in my blood which you can know from the strike that's happening right now in france so it's more from like a cultural history exactly. than like you know a genetic trait yeah it's the cultural values from growing up in a place what do you get and then those bonuses are happening there but this is important because campaign three is set in the world of uh 
Verdestello, which is filled with plants and bug people. And it's a pirate campaign. It's a little bit One Piece, a little bit Redwall with some plants and zombies mixed in. I'm so excited to go back to like a fantasy world after doing like humans in Campaign 2, which is our superhero modern world set in upstate New York, and our Monster of the Week game, which was set at like a Gravity Falls summer camp. So getting back to fantasy uh, has been so much fun. That's so exciting. <laughs> I, I'm very, I'm so, so stoked about it. The the we, the we player characters are incredible. Having them be these like plants and bug people are just absolutely incredible. And pirates What I wouldn't matter. give to be a fantasy bug person. You can. You can too. <laughs> Here's the wonderful thing. The, the species, so the species we have, you just get to choose if you're greenery, if you're produce, if you're a flower, or you're like a bug plant hybrid. That's it. You just get to choose. I'm getting Pokemon- sort of bug grass type yeah. sort of you can just be you can just be a barbarian pile of oranges it's whatever <laughs> you want <laughs> you mentioned that a big part of tabletop games and tabletop role-playing games in general is that the sort of things that your character does and is good at are motivated a lot by what is considered your class as a character, which is typically like the set of things that you can do and the set of things that you are naturally good at. Yeah, it's like your job. Yeah, it will guide the decisions that you make in the game based on what you're better at. And, you know, we're looking at Dungeons and Dragons in the fifth edition. So there are tons and tons of classes in D&D. So we've decided to kind of focus on three. I have asked you for your kind of top three classes. So we're going to be looking at those. And how this episode is going to work is I'm going to ask you to introduce us to this class and what it is like to make a character and play a character in this class. And then I'm going to tell you what animal I think fits this class best and why. Incredible. So tabletop role playing, for those of you who don't know, is very fun. You basically get into a room with your friends <laughs> and you all decide on a shared world together that you're going to play in. It's like imagination, but there's some math involved because we're adults. <laughs> it's pretend it's like pl pretend on the playground with rules yes exactly so dungeons and dragons is a specific game that lets you tell epic stories that involve fighting and action and usually is set in the fantasy genre but you can change it to various different things it's kind of like really building off of the lord of the rings pipeline of the fantasy pastiche so much so that all in the 70s uh the tolkien estate sued the company that originally made dozens and dragons and told them to stop using some of the words that they were <laughs> which is they had to change a lot of those words which is very funny to hey, me hey stop it hey stop it you can't just do this stop it it's funny to me which ones didn't like make the cut as like they're like you can keep orcs that's fine yeah like or it's like what what is like just part of the genre and what is something that it's explicitly from J.R. tolkien's is that you can't say <laughs> Hobbit, but I will go forward and say Halfling. And they're like, I can't stop you. Fine. Whatever. That's fine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, basically, well, the players are the main characters, if you can think of this in terms of the story. And they get to decide like what they want to do, what they, how they want to interact, what their personality is, and how, how they kind of interact with the world. And you can't just do something. I mean, a lot of the times you can just do stuff and interact. But if you're doing something that is like significant, you roll some dice 
and look at your uh, character sheet to see how good you are at that thing. And you're going to see if you did it well, you did it, you did it kind of badly, or you did it very badly. <laughs> and that kind of determines how the game is going to go forward. You don't just get to say, I'm awesome and everything's great. Like, you got to have some conflict and <laughs> some good things happen and bad things happen. The person who kind of controls or lays out the framework for what you're doing and plays the majority of the other characters, the enemies and the NPCs as they are, is the dungeon master or the game master, depending on what you're what you feel like saying, uh, depending on what game you're playing or how you feel about that. You can imagine like a writer starts a story and then once the story started, the main characters kind of take it from there. Or you can think about like if the game master is an architect who builds a house and it says, all right, these are three bedrooms, two bathrooms, there's a backyard. Then when the people move in, they those are the player characters making it into a home. Oh, this is now the master bedroom. I know that you thought that this is going to be for a child, but this is going to be an office. Or turning the backyard into a pool. Like, only once the player characters get into the house do they make it a home and turn it into something that people actually live in and it's real, is the way that I describe it. Yeah, which is a very challenging job. <laughs> it can be quite demanding, but it's also very creative. You know, you get to you get to come up with a lot of things about how the how the world works, and and a lot of times you kind of get to be the decider as to whether the thing that your players want to do will fly or not. There are a lot of different styles, a lot of different ways that people play. It's always a good time as long as everybody's uh, cool about it. And on the same page, it requires a lot of communication about, you know, like what you're comfortable with, what you're cool with, how you want the game to go, stuff like that. So when you are a player and you are making your own character, let's say you're, you're looking through the handbook and you decide, I'm going to make my character. I want to make a monk. What does that mean? Like in the game. So a monk, again, you need to remember this was written, this has such like very specific fictional fantasy genre pastiche layered on top of it, right? (laughs) So when they was writing it, obviously it's called the monk and the monk has some pan-Asian living on the top of a monastery that's on the top of a mountain, like way of the fist, way of the hand kind of pastiche there. But inherently the monk is the most, I would say, superhuman or physically powerful class that you're going to have. A lot of the classes are really magic-focused. A lot of the classes, like, or might have, like, a big sword or a weapon that you're dealing with. But the monk is about, like, not wearing armor and being fast and nimble and also using things called key points. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Using things called key points to do these superhuman or extra-athletic tasks Um, that no one else can do. Like, you can use a key point to sprint really fast. You can use key points to, like, throw uh, bullets back and arrows back at people. And the monk also gets really physically built up uh, abilities. Like, they can't get sick at a certain level. They can run across water and up walls at a certain level. You can uh, fall really slowly or fall from a great height and not take damage. And it's kind of all about that, doing things and using your key points at certain times to do, like, incredibly athletic feats. Have you played as a monk before? Yes, I have played as a monk. I really love the monk. The monk might be be my personal favorite class. 
Because I think it's just so flexible. Yeah. A lot of the classes are like, I'm going to do magic right now, or I'm going to hit you really <laughs> hard. But the monk has a lot of like picking and choosing your spots. And I find that, and I find that really fun. Also, they have like unarmored defense, which means if you don't wear any like armor, if you don't like have big pauldrons on or, uh, or chain mail, <laughs> your uh, AC, which is the number that you use to get hit by other weapons, your AC is super high because <laughs> you could just like avoid it. You you can just roll, dodge around it as much as you want. Yeah. So AC being like basically how hard it is to hit you, right. whether that is due to your armor or whether that is due to your agility letting you dodge things. There are a couple of different things that can, when you hear armor class, you might think like just how tough your armor is, but it's not just your armor. Um, you can have a really high AC because you have high dexterity. Yeah. And this aspect of the monk being sort of excelling at unarmed combat, but also the emphasis on dexterity is why the animal that I chose for the monk is the praying mantis. Hell yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> the praying mantis, uh, first of all, they don't use armor or weapons, but you could say that for like the vast majority of animals. So I don't feel like that super counts. So there are three sort of starter kit monk key features that I think translate one-to-one -one into things the praying mantis can do. One, eating your wife. <laughs> eating or in, eating your husband? Just right off the bat. It's eating the husband. Okay. It's the female eats the the female eats the male. But the first one is flurry of blows. So for the monk in the game, it says immediately after you take the attack action on your turn, you can spend a key point to make two unarmed strikes as a bonus action. Praying mantis Think of, you know, the reason why it's called a praying mantis is because it has these, they're called raptorial appendages, but they're what you might think of as like hands or arms. I'm going to start calling my own hands raptorial appendages. That's how to sound. Catch these raptorial appendages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but so, I mean, that's two unarmed strikes right there, but it's just kind of in, in one sort of motion. And the praying mantis has just a blindingly fast striking speed. They can strike in as little as 60 milliseconds, which is faster than the human eye can see. So when, when scientists study praying mantises, they have to record them with like special cameras that can capture in like extremely slow motion because they're just blindingly fast. So right there, like super high agility, super high dexterity. They're striking really fast. I think that's a direct translation. Another thing is another key feature of the monk that the praying mantis has is called patient defense, mm. where uh, you can spend a key point to take the dodge action as a bonus action on your turn. Praying mantises are ambush predators. So they use camouflage to blend in with foliage and they wait for prey to come within striking distance. Um, and they can really vary in color, pattern, and texture to better blend in with their surroundings. And so what they do is they basically just like blend in and they just wait patiently until something is close enough to them that they can strike it or that, you know, they're they're so well blended in that if something is coming for them, they can see it and, and leave. That's something that's so like playing a tabletop RPG for me or like what I understand about my players is that like, you know, being a predator as a bug is <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's like I am at the highest of this very small food chain, but there is a larger <laughs> thing that can hurt me at any time and will sneak up on me while I'm looking at this other thing. This is like your Dungeons and Dragons character sneaking up on a band of goblins and then there's a dragon sneaking up on your character at the same time. <laughs> 
Like if you just slightly pan the camera up a little bit, you can see a massive dragon. Yeah, exactly. Zoom out just a little bit, and then there's like a giant tree person ready to smack you with a club right behind you. That is existence for like any bug. Uh, And the third key feature that I think translates directly to the praying mantis is step of the wind. So you can spend one key point to take the disengage or dash action as a bonus action on your turn, and your jump distance is doubled for that turn. Oh, I forgot about the jump distance. Yeah, monks can just jump 30 feet. <laughs> Go for it, man. See you later. There, I'm out I'm of here. So while you're you're telling me this this uh, fact, <laughs> there are like jump distance calculators. So I will pull out a jump distance calculator and tell you exactly how far a monk can jump. Just a regular running <laughs> jump. I'm going to look that up. From a standstill. <laughs> they have standing. I'm, they have this stuff too, truly. <laughs> The, the reason that praying mantises can can do this extended jump is because they can extend their wings and fly for short distances. So if they're scared and they're trying to disengage from a predator attack, they extend their wings and step of the wind. They're out of there. They're good to go. They And it's funny because they don't use flight to like fly long distances. They only use it to like boost a jump mm-hmm. when they're escaping from a predator so it is it is kind of exactly like this this mechanic of like you can disengage and and jump double the distance uh when escaping okay which i think is really cool that is that is incredibly cool i'm bugs (laughs) that jump freak me out more than bugs that fly because i feel like a bug that jump will go directly into my face like a bug that flies is like nah i'm exploring the z-axis i'm fine but a bug that jumps will be like oh i'm gonna get you and then she'll hit me right in the face and the thing about praying mantises is that they have no concept of how big they are compared to other things because they're ready to fight literally anybody at any time for any reason Mm. have you ever seen you can look up videos of mantises trying to fight yes people mantises trying to fight a dog there's a video i think of a mantis trying to fight like i don't know a piece of construction equipment they're so (laughs) down to fight for any reason they're so ready. My Instagram reels would be so much better if instead of like people <laughs> fighting at a waffle house, it was fighting <laughs> mantises fighting construction equipment. I would I would like that. I'd be like, give me more of this. I need World Star to get on this. There we go. That would be incredible. Okay, I looked up the fifth edition jump calculator. This is just standard. So your strength score would be 10, which makes sense because you usually put most of your points into dexterity. And they just said, if your height is six feet tall, fine. I'm six feet tall in my fantasy world. Totally. You're totally right. (laughs) With a running start and you have Step of the Wind on, the thing Ellen was just talking about, your long jump is 20 feet horizontally and six feet (laughs) off the ground. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hey, what I want to do in my fantasy world is I can dunk. That's what I want. (laughs) Fully across the court, ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that would be a great way to play a like a basketball player themed uh, monk character. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Hey, I'm Michael Jordan. Uh, I'm here in the Forgotten Realms. Listen, he's already been like teleported into like the Looney Tunes universe. So I think this is already I feel like you can slot Michael Jordan into like whatever universe you want. Ooh, okay. I like that. Is Is he public domain? Do you think? (laughs) No, he's owned by (laughs) Warner Brothers. Come on. Come on. You got to wait for that copyright to expire. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, 
I did want to throw in that at the seventh level, monks gain an ability called evasion yes. that allows them to take no damage from effects on a successful dex save instead of half damage. So it's not like a huge difference. It can be a huge difference if you're taking a huge hit. Yes. And the reason I think this relates to praying mantises is that praying mantises have compound eyes. Oh, yeah. And their compound eyes allow them to kind of see in all directions around them rather than just like what's ahead of them. Um, and they can also perceive motion really, really quickly. So that's kind of the benefit of compound eyes is having an enormous range of vision. You can't see fine detail. The resolution is really low on compound eyes. So they can't really see like a crystal clear image, but they can see motion happening around them extremely quickly. So it alerts them to attacks and they can very quickly evade uh, from pretty much anything that's trying to get at them. Although they do seem to be a little bit more prone to fight than flight. Uh, in my <laughs> experience, but they're at least, uh, they're extremely aware of what's going on around them. So I feel like all that is a pretty one-to-one praying mantis. Uh, I think if you're going to make a monk, uh, maybe take some inspiration from the praying mantis. Yeah, And if you're watching any na- uh, nature documentaries that has the praying man- mantis in them, listen really close and so maybe someone far away will be shouting, World Star! <laughs> <laughs> they are so... T- down to clown at a moment's notice. <laughs> they want to catch these raptorial <laughs> appendages. That's what you said. They're so ready. Hi, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we've got a couple more classes to talk about, so stick around. Oh, I hope they've got the bread bowl. Have you seen the bread bowl at this place? Mm-hmm. Good evening. Welcome to Maximum Fun. Have you been here before? It's her first time. Very good. Might I recommend our special? Oh, please. Can I interest you in the Max Fun Drive? I'm told they're cooking up something quite extraordinary this year. I've heard about this. With limited time thank you gifts for new and upgrading members? That's right. <laughs> we'll take it. How would you like your episodes? Uh, can I get them excellent with new Boko on the side? Mm-hmm. Oh, are there live stream events? Absolutely. You know, if you're interested in events, Meetup Day is returning. What? Oh, you're going to love Meetup Day. It's the best. Okay, let me make sure I have everything. Max Fun Drive 2023 with limited time thank you gifts, live stream events, meetup day, excellent episodes, and of course, new bonus content. Sounds perfect. Great. We'll get it started and it'll be ready in two weeks, March 20th. Oh, can we also get a couple of waters? Of course. Where am I? On Maximum Fun. What do you want? A podcast miniseries about The Prisoner. Whose side are you on? That would be telling, but okay, I'm on my own side. It's one of my favorite ever TV shows. We want a podcast on it. A Prisoner podcast. You won't get it. By hook or by crook, we will. Who are you? I'm Elliot Kalin. Who is number one? Jesse Thorne. But you are John Hodgman. I am not a Prisoner podcaster. I am a free man. <laughs> are you okay? Elliot, are you all right? Okay, I'll watch it. All four episodes of Bee Potting You are out now. The next class we wanted to talk about is a class that I have to admit uh, like confuses me a little bit because it's so, I think, mechanically similar to some of the other classes, but with a little bit of a difference. This is the Warlock. Yes. 
So introduce me to the warlock. So the warlock, I think, is my favorite version of the magic user. When they were making 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, whoever was playtesting this kicked down the door and said, magic is better than swords. And the ma- <laughs> the magic users of Dungeons and Dragons are incredibly freaking powerful. It's really, it's very, very wild. But it's very kind of like regimented the ways that your characters get magic. Like the cleric gets magic from from the divine and from prayer uh, and from their belief in the divine. Um, the paladin is kind of like the knight on behalf of the divine, which is where they get, they're kind of like a half magic user. The, the wizard theoretically studied really hard and learned this magic from, from uh, like, getting it from books. It's the nerd of the magic world. Truly, truly. And the sorcerer is the cool kid of the magic world, where, like, it, they were just born with it. So then they can, like, oh, hey, I have firepowers. Is that cool with you? And they just know how to do it. But the warlock made an infernal pact with a minor to major deity, either above, below, or sideways, to get their magic. And they have this relationship with their magical patron. Uh, which is why I think it's really interesting when the mechanics of the game give you something to work off of in your play and in your like role playing and your character building. That's why I love this relationship. And also the warlock, their magic uh, ability score is charisma, which is usually used to convince people of things. But instead, this is how you do magic good. So you have like a fast talking spell slinging character who has like a daddy who's a demon. And it's actually which is always a fun character to play. Yeah, it, the spell casting ability being charisma was was always kind of confusing to me until I thought of the fact that they're like, really sourcing a lot of their power from their relationship to this entity mm-hmm. that is like granting them the power so then the charisma makes a lot more sense when you think about the fact that they're kind of like having to convince this entity to give them power so like it's kind of still like them communicating and and having this like good relationship with their like entity that they are deriving power from absolutely if i could guess i'm hoping you're going to talk about the symbiotic relationship between uh those animals like the little guys who get in the shark's teeth and things that is a good one I came up with something that I think fits two different, the two sort of main criteria for the warlock, having high charisma and a pact with another entity. And this is the gray wolf. Ooh, okay. So to lean into the charisma factor first. So when you're talking about charisma with animals, it means something a little bit different. Charisma, like a charismatic animal is an animal that is really popular, basically. An animal that is cute, an animal that is pretty, an animal that people like in general. So you have this idea of like charismatic. It's usually megafauna. Large animals are usually considered more charismatic. But this is things like elephants, tigers pandas are like the ultimate like charismatic you know animal but they're you know they're the face of the kind of the ecosystem they're the ones that people like usually the ones that bring in the most conservation money and also the the panda defeated uh wwe it defeated wrestling (laughs) they're they're indomitable oh wait oh do you know what i'm talking about i don't think so okay so the world wildlife fund is you know the nonprofit that gets a lot of money and their uh logo is a panda and there was a court case a few a bunch of years ago 
that between the World uh, Wildlife Fund and professional wrestling, which also had the <laughs> moniker WWF, and the World Wildlife Fund won, and that's why it's now known as WWE, World Wrestling Entertainments. So a panda defeated Vince McMahon and big wrestlers. Oh my God, what's that? It's a panda with a metal chair. Coming out of nowhere. Oh no, that's the panda's music. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to talk about like charisma, there was actually a 2018 study that analyzed survey responses, zoo websites, and animated movie posters <laughs> to compile a list of the 20 most charismatic animals. And by the way, this is by European researchers. They pulled European people and looked at European websites. This is pretty much all from like a Western European standpoint. And they had this list of 20. The wolf was the ninth most popular. That's awesome. Yes. So the wolf is a very charismatic animal. People really like them, but not just with people. They're also really charismatic with each other. They famously live in packs, right? right? This is like not, it's not extremely common for large predators to live in groups and, and hunt cooperatively. There are some myths about wolf pack structure. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, there, that there's like a hierarchy of like an alpha pair, but then like a ladder of subordinates. And there's this kind of idea that like wolves are always competing with each other to climb the ranks. That's not it's it's a lot more simple than that. It's just that wolf packs are usually a family unit. Mm. And so the dominant pair is the breeding pair. So like the parents and their kids and the kids would naturally be subordinate to their parents. Um, sometimes you'll get a larger pack. So like then you'll still have the dominant breeding pair, but then members of the pack can help each other they help each other hunt they help each other navigate um they even help raise young this is called allo parenting Ooh. because pups don't join on the hunt the, the pups aren't ready to hunt yet so when the stronger individuals will go to hunt sometimes you'll get a couple individuals that stay behind with the pups and babysit even if they're not their pups they stay behind and you get kind of this sort of nursery of, of wolf pups so you know relationships with each other are really important to wolves it's a high very charismatic you know not just with not just two people but but, you know, to their fellow wolves. And then the defining trait of the warlock class being their sort of relationship with this entity that they have an agreement with. Wolves have a pact with ravens. Oh, my God. Have you ever heard of this? No. So ravens are scavengers, which follow the wolves around and they like pick at their meals. So the wolves might bring down a large prey item and then the ravens will pick at the carcass afterwards or even during like when the wolves are eating off of the carcass, the ravens will pick off of it. And you would expect the wolves to chase the ravens away because they're they're taking their food and they're losing some of that prey to the ravens. But they don't. They seem to be OK with it. Like they seem to be kind of chill with the ravens picking off their food. And so this is kind of thought to be because the ravens they have keen eyes and high vantage points and they sound alarm calls if danger is coming oh. so the wolves may be kind of letting the ravens hang out as like an alarm system it's like a security system basically so they know if something's coming that explains why ravens keep stealing all of my shiny things <laughs> because they they already know the codes to my alarm system <laughs> See, you have a pact. <laughs> yeah, I need a better pact with my alarm system because it keeps all these ravens uh, are coming into my window. <laughs> but they it kind of goes beyond tolerance for their presence because wolf packs have even been seen following raven flocks. Oh. And the ravens seem to be leading them to vulnerable targets. So the ravens seem to be kind of seeing something. Maybe they see an injured deer or a sick elk on its own or something like that. The ravens will lead the wolves 
to the target and then the wolves can can kill it and then the ravens kind of get a free meal out of that the ravens wouldn't have been able to take that down prey down on their own so they bring the wolves in to to hunt for them basically that is uh scary cool yeah so i i kind of read a lot of this in this article called wolves and ravens defining a unique relationship and that was in osmosis magazine in spring of 2020 by katarina erdas at the university of richmond and i wanted to share this quote because i think this is beautiful katarina writes both ravens and wolves have the social abilities to form bonds between individual ravens and individual wolves right she says i have my own anecdote soon after spotting the wolves i saw a raven at first it was circling close above but then it swooped down towards a wolf taunting it the wolf in turn jumped up and snapped its teeth at a safe distance from the raven they repeated this dance a couple of times what at first looked like an aggressive interaction was actually two friends playing oh that's so good so he kind of like ravens are known for kind of being like they like to harass other animals a lot they're always like pulling other birds tails and and bothering other animals and stuff but the wolf could very easily take down this raven you know the the wolf could just just grab it right out of the air but they don't seem to want to like they're kind of having fun and i think the implication of this is that like one particular wolf will have like one particular raven that it likes that they're like buddies and they'll just be like best of friends. <laughs> All right, everyone, take a look out for my new YA book of wolves and ravens <laughs> coming out 2024. It's about a wolf and a raven who are best friends in the wilderness. Isn't it just the cutest thing? I considered choosing the domestic dog for this class, oh, sure. but I do think they play more of a support role. So I think that the dog would be a cleric. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Uh, whereas the the wolf is the DPS, you know, they're coming in to do some damage. Absolutely. And everyone knows that when you pet a dog's belly, it does heal you. So that makes more sense. That's the healing touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the last class we wanted to talk about is the fighter. Yeah. I think the fighter class doesn't get a ton of love. I think a lot of times people kind of write it off as being maybe a boring class, but uh, introduce us to the fighter. The fighter might seem like the standard kind of like, hey, swing a sword, do damage, like the basic beginner class. And I think on its face, it is. And underneath like classes, you actually get subclasses, usually starting at level three, which kind of refines the class, your job into something a little bit more specific. Like uh, for a sorcerer, a sorcerer, you get it at the beginning because you have a certain type of magic that you use. Like you have a fire soul or a electric soul or a wild magic soul, etc. But for something like fighter, you're going from I'm a guy who has a sword to I'm a guy who like defends people with a shield or I'm someone who also has the ability to switch spots with my shadow or I'm a guy who also is an eldritch knight and has magic at the same time. So when I was thinking about the fighter, I wanted to illustrate how like diverse this class is once you get a little bit uh, a little bit deeper in so i wanted to point out that i think that fighters are like birds and if you think that all birds are like pigeons <laughs> and blackbirds and you're like oh fighters are dumb birds are dumb <laughs> like oh it's just this pigeon you know like who cares pigeons are remarkably intelligent right and i think that it's more about like what you it's it's just the idea of it but you can do something as if you're 
feeling narrow-minded about this class. Obviously, pigeons can do all types of things, like fighter. All types of regular fighters can do lots of things because you can do whatever you want in a role-playing game. But like the diversity is like, no, I'm not playing a pigeon. I'm playing a turkey, and that's much. Di- or I'm playing a flamingo, or I'm playing like a raptor. Those are all different types of fighters and different types of birds you could play yeah. that are much different, even though they're all birds. And that, that's how I felt for me, but I want to hear what you have to say. No, for sure. And I was going to say, like, I, I've i come across some birds that were a fighter if I've ever seen one because I live where we have non-migratory Canada geese. And that's the most cut and dry fighter I've ever met in my life. They'll fight you for no reason. You look at them wrong and they're trying to square up. Oh, yeah. I've also been dive bombed by mockingbirds uh, sure. who I got a little too close to their nest and they're feisty. So they have the attitude for sure. Yes. One of my players, Julia, has a blue jays near her and she really loves blue jays, mm. but she's they're like, so mean. they're such jerks. They're just such buttholes. They're so mean. They're in the Corvid family. They're relatives of crows and ravens. Oh, yeah. She loves Corvid so much. You know, it's like birds, I think, specifically, much like fighters can multi-class with other things. Birds are so diverse. Mm-hmm. It's like a Corvid is a is a fighter and a rogue at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like Just like a Canada, a Canada goose is a fighter and a barbarian at the same time. That's a barbarian yeah. through and through. <laughs> so for the fighter... I- chose an animal that I think embodies two elements of the fighter. Sure. Uh, two very core core elements of the fighter. And that is strength and weapon-based combat. Oh my god. And that's the chimpanzee. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which perhaps maybe sounds like a boring answer, but hear me out. <laughs> Trust the process. Sure. So first of all, I was racking my brain to think of an animal that actually uses a weapon. Yeah. Actually, not just like something it already has built into their body, but actually grabs an object that is not part of their body and fights with it as a weapon. And I found an example. So research published in 2007 (laughs) on wild chimpanzees in Senegal documented 22 cases. So this was a repeated thing. This wasn't a one-off. This was a regular thing. Mm -hmm. The chimpanzees would grab a tree branch, strip all of the leaves and twigs and stuff off of it. They would sharpen it with their teeth. Oh, my God. And then jab them into holes in tree trunks, like forcefully stabbing into these hollow tree trunks. And in one case, this resulted in the extraction of a bush baby from the tree. Did they eat it? Yeah. Well, then good. Yeah, caught and ate. Good job, I guess. You know, <laughs> like I know this is an Mission animal accomplished. podcast. Yeah, I know it's an animal <laughs> podcast, and I should feel bad, but like, I mean, oh no, I mean, animals eat animals all the time. You know, like, yeah, get it. <laughs> I just like I don't. At this point, if you are looking at that and you're like, you know what? Actually, evolution, not true. Like, what else am I supposed to take from this other than this guy was like me when I was five? Like, I also sharpened sticks with my teeth and stabbed things with it. Like, that's incredible. You could really see, like, the human sort of connection when you when you see primate behavior is absolutely wild. And something interesting that I saw reported about this is that the behavior was a lot more common among female children chimpanzees than the males so the females would tend to use this these sort of weapons to hunt and then since the females were the ones uh typically raising the young then the young chimpanzees would learn it from 
the adult females. So you start to see the sort of like development of like like a, a skill being passed on behaviorally, not just like an instinct, right. but something they're learning from each other, which I think is really cool. Well, I, Ellen, I mean, I'm looking. I'm actually. I don't. I don't. Listen. I know this is your podcast, and I you're the expert. <laughs> uh, but I am actually looking at this paper right now, and I think to corroborate what you're saying is that uh, it seems like. Uh, girls go to college to get more knowledge, and boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. So, I yeah, that's, that's actually awesome. cited in the literature. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that explains that. It definitely explains that. That's academically consistent. <laughs> um, and the, the paper, by the way, is called Savannah Chimpanzees, Pan Troglodytes Varus, Hunt with Tools. And that was by Jill D. Pruitts and Paco Bertolani in Current Biology in March of 2007. So that's a very one-to-one. Sure. Like, if you're going to have an animal that uses weapons, there you go. That's a fighter right there. But the other thing about the fighter is that they you know, have really great strength. It's a very strong class. You really want to have good strength if you're going to play a fighter. And chimpanzees are known for their strength. They are i think it's been kind of overstated how much stronger they are than humans but they are in general about 1.3 to one and a half times stronger than a human but there's an actual physiological reason for why chimpanzees are stronger than humans on average a 2017 study analyzed their muscles compared to human muscles and they found that the chimpanzees muscles had a higher proportion of fast twitch fibers. So fast twitch fibers are muscle fibers that are really, really good at exerting a lot of force in a short burst. So they kind of give you this burst of energy. So they're putting out like a lot of effort in a short amount of time. And this is as opposed to slow twitch fibers, which are really good at exerting force gradually for a long period of time. So it's not an intense burst. It's more of a sustained effort. So since chimpanzees are arboreal, mm. meaning they, they live in trees, it's a lot more useful for them to be able to have short bursts of effort to do things like quickly climb a tree or swing across a branch or, you know, have like a long jump or something like that. They need these sort of short bursts of energy. But since humans evolved to be these more long distance endurance runners, it was more important to be able to sustain exertion than to have this burst of intense power. So our muscles adjusted. And now you see that like humans have more slow twitch fibers in their muscles than chimpanzees do. And that's all just because of like, you know, the lifestyle they were adapting to. So it's really interesting to see like the way that primate bodies have diverged from each other. But I mean, if you're going for strength, chimp, Right there, right? Like yeah, they're, they're a little ball of power. I would much rather go back to the chimp stuff so that uh, now that I'm 31, my back can stop hurting <laughs> and I can do all the things that I used to do. I would love all those qu- uh, quick twitch muscles back because apparently standing up straight is stupid <laughs> and bad and I have to stop doing it <laughs> after the age of 29, which is ridiculous. I'm just imagining myself trying to like climb a tree and swing through a branch, and I it sounds like a bag of pop rocks. And <laughs> <laughs> I I still I get up and I go, oh, here we go. Like what? A, it's terrible. It sounds like someone's crinkling bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm groaning at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the chimpanzee's got to be the fighter. Which, I don't know if that sounds like a boring answer, but I really couldn't think of a better one-to-one comparison. <laughs> no, I think that's good. There are... I don't... Listen, we're putting animals on Dungeons & Dragons classes. Whatever we say, we're good. it's fine. <laughs> it's fine and cool and good. Yeah. 
You can also put a different primate on every single one. Listen, like a like a silverback gorilla is different than a chimpanzee is different than a bonobo. You know what I mean? So yeah, I was thinking that a gorilla, gorillas are herbivores. They're very very peaceful in general. They really don't fight a lot. And so I was just thinking that the chimpanzee has the attitude. You know, chimpanzees are well known for being quite aggressive with each other. Like when troops of chimpanzees cross paths, they're a lot more um, willing to fight with each other than bonobos or gorillas are. Uh, so I feel like I feel like gorillas didn't have the attitude, and bonobos are are just so chill. Yeah. Uh, bonobos are just the chillest thing in the world. So I couldn't do that to the bonobo. <laughs> To be the yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> I I respect your choice. I chose birds, and you had research. But I like the idea of like you know birds can birds can fit into a lot of different roles uh, in the ecosystem. They can be you know a bulky combatant, or they can be more stealthy, or they can be more like clever, or like there are a lot of different different forms that birds can take. So I think uh, you could basically make like a bird based character for like any <laughs> any kind of character you want to play. Yeah. This is yes. this is wonderful, Ellen. Thank you so much for doing all this. It's weird. We've been talking about doing this episode for like months now. I know. <laughs> so now that we're doing it, <laughs> so now that we're doing it, it's like what D and D is in a very strange place right now, especially with the lack of stewardship of Wizard of the Coast and the parent mm-hmm. company who owns the rights to publish the books of Dungeons and Dragons and Hasbro, which owns that company on top of it. Right now, there's a lot of stuff going on with the open gaming license, which is something that allows third-party creators to make, like, things that Wizards of the Coast won't publish because they are a massive company and want to sell to all types of people who have different feelings about different kinds of stuff and peoples. <laughs> so uh, it's really important, this vibrant community around it, and uh, people make their li- livelihood doing this, and uh, Wizards of the Coast have really been trying to come down on this and change it just so that they can get a, a little bit more money. Um, it seems like things are trending in a good direction. We're recording this in the middle of January, so it's kind of like, we don't know how it's going to shake out. It seems like it's coming for the better, but it, much like a union no- negotiation against management, people are negotiating, trying to get the best out of what happens here, and we're going to see how it goes, because ultimately a company owns this game, and they're going to do what company stuff does. Hi, this is me editing the podcast. We recorded this episode in January of 2023, and after we recorded this, Wizards of the Coast responded by acknowledging the criticism and backtracking the OGL. Eric reached out to me and emphasized that while it's a step in the right direction, it's important to remain vigilant and critical, especially with the upcoming 2024 release of 1D&D. I still encourage anyone interested to research this issue in more depth and explore tabletop RPG options that fulfill your gaming needs. Okay, back to it. Uh, But what I would say, and which is germane to our conversation right now, and to all the people who are making tabletop RPG content, whether written or actual play or actual play podcasts or videos, is like, no company owns your game. And what happens in a company somewhere and the profits they're trying to turn have absolutely nothing to do with what you do at your table and what you make and what you share with your friends. And in my opinion, what you uh, sell online so that other regular people can buy them. You know what I mean? So Dungeons and Dragons, the company and and the people, because this is going to come out in March, the, the movie has nothing to do with the game, honestly, you know? So like... Do your thing. Play the game that you want to play. If you want your character to be a chimpanzee fighter, do it. Just do, just do it. 
That sounds awesome. If you want to have a wolf uh, warlock do it, there are plenty of third-party people out there that you can find on the internet that will help you, but also there are other games that you can play where you actually can be an animal straight up. Yeah. Uh, two that I want to recommend really quickly are Honey Heist uh, by Grant Howitt. You've probably heard oh, about it. Yeah. A lot of people all over the D&D media space have been attracted to it, uh, but Grant Howitt has a ton of other one-shots that are one-page tabletop RPGs that he's released for free. He's just kind of put them out on the internet. Um, you get to play a bear, and you get to do a heist. It's absolutely incredible, but some of the other ones that he's done. I also want to recommend Goat Crashers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to recommend Goat Crashers, which is a game we've played on Join the Party, where you play a, series, uh, a group of goats who crash a party. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> and I want to shout out Wander Home, uh, which is a pastoral fantasy role-playing game about traveling animal folk, the world they inhabit, and the way the seasons change. It's very kind of chill. It's a lot oh, more. It's a lot more like bucolic and sweet and nice. And it's a, more about like the relationships between these little animal guys. So um, my, again, like I said, D and D is about epic storytelling and combat, and these other games are less about that. So if you're looking for something that isn't straight up like what we're kind of talking about here, there are other games for you. And uh, if you like playing D and D, do it. Um, just, you know, put your money to people who are doing it the right way. You don't have to give money to big corporations that don't have your best interest in mind. They only have their own best interest in mind, which is to, uh, not only get profit, but to demonstrate that they have a growth of profit year over year, which is insane and unsustainable and not the way that anyone does anything. Right. And the community that actually enjoys that thing ends up being the ones that have to bear the brunt of it, unfortunately. Exactly. Well, I appreciate the recommendations. Those sound really awesome. I think I would love to play any of those. You know, before we wrap up for today, I would love it if you could let people listening know, where can people find you? Where can people follow along with your work? Yes. Please listen to the podcast that I'm on. Join the party, like I said. It's so fun, y'all. It's really good. <laughs> Thank you. Again, campaign three, pirates, plant, and bug people. That is happening right now. We are we have just finished the world building episodes by the time this is out, and we probably have a few story episodes that are going. I'm really excited about it. It's a lot of fun being able to control this and do this kind of like, you know, as something as wide-ranging and ridiculous as one piece and then putting a plant and bug kind of like inspiration on top of it has been a lot of fun and there's like deep lore involved in the whole thing um and coming up with a new fantasy world has been wonderful um and also 2023 is the year that i told myself that i'll start telling people uh that i'm the best dm in podcasting i am and i hope that you're going to enjoy you it. it here first <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first uh and maybe all the other places that i'm saying it i eric silver i'm the best dm in podcasting you're really going to enjoy join the party um it's wonderful. And you can listen to my other shows uh, like Games and Feelings, which is an advice show all about every type of game, video games, board games, sports, escape rooms, you know, card games, uh, all types of stuff. It's a weekly show that has like a bunch of different smaller shows inside of it. Um, the advice show, uh, what's your favorite Pokemon? And then I say something nice about you, which is an interview show about Pokemon. And then I say something nice about the person. That sounds so tailor-made specifically to me as a person. You should listen to it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And then the replay is where uh, my wife, Amanda, and I, who's also enjoying the party, um, we look at old advice columns uh, that ask where people 
people asked about games and we give actual good responses to those instead of just like dear Abby going, I don't know. Card games are a symbol (laughs) of class. I'm not sure what to tell you. We actually give good advice. So yeah, Games and Feelings is the other show that I'm on and I have new shows. I'm producing four shows right now uh, and those are going to be out uh, soon. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of all that to come chat with me about <laughs> animals and D&D today. Um, you know, I, I'll have links to everything in the episode description below so people listening can scroll down and click on through and check out any of those that sound awesome to you. I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, it's been so fun talking to you. It was so much fun. I could talk about this stuff all the time. So please let me come back. Let me come back. Uh, I am. I will talk about the other classes and what animals those are. We got a lot to go yeah. through. Yeah. <laughs> You're always welcome. I'll be. I'll come back. I'm sitting outside of your room right now, <laughs> like a raven trying to crack the code to your alarm system. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that our episode has given you a permanent plus one to intelligence. If you liked what you heard, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description below. You can send me an email at ellen at just the zoo of us.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for earlier today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible, beautiful, wonderful theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.